Hi there. How are we? Good. Good to see you. Uh, my name is RD. I'm one of the pastors here on, uh, on staff. And uh, let me wish everyone here Happy New Year. Happy New Year to uh, all, of, all of you. It um, took my wife only until January 1st to already have our first, how should we put this, robust dialogue of uh, 20... <laughs> 2016. So we made it to about 4 p.m. and then uh, things just kind of happened. So I, January 1st, and you know it was uh, humbling and just like you know you start the year off, you're thinking this is going to be the year when you're no different really. But somehow you think maybe this will be. I'm just going to be, and it was just this really because most of it was actually my fault. I was being pretty small and just angry and selfish and. Um, and it just, it just wasn't good. It just wasn't good at all. And I remember just being like, I so want at least one day, you know, like one day just to January 1st, so possibilities. It's, and it's just, you know. And it was just a reminder that, um, you know, what, what I need and what, what we need in 2016 is, is just is new, new mercy and new grace every day. And thankfully, on January 2nd, there's new mercy, and January 3rd, there's new mercy, and January 4th, there's new mercy, because God knows that we need it. <laughs> and thankfully, right, his ability to give far exceeds our, our need. And so if you've already blown all your resolutions, if you didn't make resolutions because you know you blow them anyway, um, maybe let's just say we want more of the Lord. We want our affections to be more for him. We want to um, just be filled with um, his spirit more and more and more. We want to seek first God's kingdom and everything else will take care of itself. <laughs> everything else really, really will. So if you're already like starting off like it's going to be a long year, then I, I'm right there with you and I'm thankful that God's there with us and he goes before us. Well, in, in light of that, we are finishing out 1 Corinthians this weekend. So get excited. We have come a long way through, uh, we're going to get to chapter 15. We won't get to 16 because there's just so much and we've only scratched the surface. But if you have a Bible, grab it. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 16. By that, I mean 15. 1 Corinthians 15 um, is uh, just, you know, because I'm a little nerdy. Uh, if I, you know, this is one of the questions I ask myself or other people, depending on the audience. So don't be nerdy. You know, worried about taking me out, but if I, you know, went to a desert island and got to pick four passages of the Bible to take with me there, not just verses, but like chapters, say chapter, what, what chapters would you take with you to that desert island? First Corinthians 15 would be at the top of the list. It'd be up there. I mean, we have, we've been through a lot together. Those of you who've been walking with us through first Corinthians and Paul ends, we're going to the mountaintop. Right, we're going to the top and we're gonna talk about resurrection. We're gonna talk about the resurrection of Jesus and our coming resurrection. And so what a better way than that to start off the new year. Then the certainty of the resurrection of the dead. Then hope now and hope beyond the grave. Much better than three little steps to be a better person. <laughs> right, resurrection, life now, life after death, life after life after death. Well, if you're visiting or new and thinking I missed the entire book of 1 Corinthians, I'll sum it up very quickly for you. 
Uh, Paul wrote this letter to a group of young Christians, men and women, who were in the city of Corinth, which is a city uh, somewhat like Madison, uh, not necessarily Christian in any sense of the word, and they're trying to follow Jesus. They're coming from pagan backgrounds, Jewish backgrounds, no religious backgrounds. Uh, Christianity is so new, there are very, very few Christians anywhere in the whole world, and they're trying to follow Jesus as a community of people. And as Paul began in 1 Corinthians, he's writing, he says, to saints, uh, to people who aren't always acting like saints, hence he wrote a letter to them, uh, but they were saints because Jesus Christ had made them new by his grace. And Paul says, if, if he has made you new, then your behavior needs to match up with who you are in Christ. And so that's the thrust of 1 Corinthians, is to have who we are, the reality of who we are, which is holy and spotless and blameless, actually become more and more of our behavior because that's who we are. And so we've walked through all of these issues from uh, people picking their favorite pastors or leaders to issues of sexuality, to issues of eating food, uh, all kinds of things uh, where the world has just come and, and turned everything on its head. And Paul's just saying, no, 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 no. Let's come back to what matters. And he's going to end here with what really matters, the heart of it all, the resurrection we're going to just work quickly through verses 12 through 58, that's all, and try and get a handle on some of the big ideas, big ideas here. And so the first section here, verses 12 through 19, Paul is responding to uh, Corinthians and others who did not believe in a resurrection of the dead. So it wasn't like in the first century people were more gullible, right? right? They weren't stupider in the first century. They didn't just think people just came out of the grave, right? It wasn't like, well, now we know people don't do that, right? If you walked around the first century in uh, Judea, there wouldn't be people that like, yeah, people come back from the dead all the time, duh, right? No, no one would think that, right? No one came back from the dead. And so there are people who are questioning Paul and saying, there is no resurrection. And if there is a resurrection, it's not with a body, it's with a soul. You go on into the heavens on a cloud and you just kind of have this disembodied state and you just kind of go on and you become one with everything, right? That was the idea, either no resurrection or if there's something after the grave, it's like you're Casper the ghost, right? And Paul's like, oh, Lord, <laughs> what do I do? And this is what he writes. Verses 12 through 19 talk about the reality of life without a resurrection from the dead. Here's what he says. He says, verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not, if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins." then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So he just runs through, and I picked out seven things that Paul says. If there is no resurrection, this is the reality of life. If this life is all that there is, there, he picked out seven things. Number one, then Christ has actually not been raised. If there is no resurrection, then no one gets raised. Right? Jesus wasn't, he hasn't risen from the dead. No one gets risen from the dead. So that's number one. If there's no resurrection, then number two, your, our preaching is useless. And by extension, being a part of a community of people is useless. It's pointless. It's really hard. 
So why would you do it if there is no resurrection? You're just kind of hanging out. Thirdly, your faith is futile. This is verse uh, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Not your faith, which is your life. Your life is futile if Christ has not been raised from the dead. It's empty. It's meaningless. There's no real point to it. Fourth, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we have been liars about who God is because we're saying that the creator God actually raised Jesus from the dead. But if he hasn't, then we've just been lying. (laughs) We've just been making it all up. Fifth, if Jesus wasn't risen from the dead, then we're still in our sins, which is devastating. Number six, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then the dead remain dead forever. And finally, if the resurrection is not real, then we should be the most pitied of all people because we're suffering and giving away all of our money and doing all these things for what reason? For no reason. He said, everyone should just basically look at us and say, you fools, why are you doing any of this? So there's just seven reasons there. So let me just sum it up and say it's, it's bad news if there's no resurrection from the dead. And Paul just goes through this list here. And the word that stuck out to me as I was reading through this was futility. The word futility, where Paul says it a couple times uh, in verse 17, he says, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. The word in Greek for futility means useless. It means empty. It means fruitless. It means meaningless. Futility, right? If, if, there is, if this is all that there is, then, then the reality of life without the resurrection is one of futility, where there's no real point. There's no real meaning to it, right? There, there, there just, there's always a ceiling, right? There's no, there's no point to it. We're here for a few years, and then we're gone. That's it, right? We can't say if, if we didn't come from meaning, right? If there was no meaning in the universe, we just came accidentally. If we didn't come from meaning and we're not headed to any meaning, then we can't seriously think that in the middle there's meaning, right? Logically, it doesn't follow. Well, I'm going to create my own meaning. Well, then your life is going to be about you. You're going to create your own meaning. It's all going to be about making yourself feel better, Right? We, we, we know, who, whatever we believe, we have this sense that futility is not the way things should be, right? Right, we, we fight up against it. We don't like things to be, right, futile. We don't, it doesn't make sense. We feel like we're here for a purpose. We feel like we're here for more than just life and death and then going back into the ground and kind of having a circle of life thing, right? There's gotta be more than that. There's gotta be more. Can you, can you imagine the, what Paul's saying here? He's saying, he's saying, men, women, if there is no resurrection, there really is no point to anything because you're here like that and, you're, and it's over. It's over. You know, the uh, Greek myth of Sisyphus is he, he gets in trouble like a lot of those people did. <laughs> and his punishment was he had to push a rock, a, a boulder up a, um, up a hill. And at the end of the night, the boulder would go back down the hill and the next day he'd have to do it again. And that was what he did for all eternity. Right, that's futility. <laughs> right. It's futility without the resurrection of life is like um, shoveling your driveway <laughs> when the snow keeps coming down. <laughs> you know, like I did this past week and shoveled it three times, but it still wasn't shoveled well enough. Not that that was related to my robust dialogue with my wife or not, but it may have been. <laughs> it, it may have been it. Uh, just impossibly. 
It was quasi-shuffled well. It was so tiring. But the snow keeps coming down, and then you have to go back out. But imagine a world where it's always snowing, it's always winter, and you keep shoveling. Futility. Or if you have uh, kids, and they're two, and uh, they wake up, you clean up the house every night, you wake up, they wake up in the morning, and in seven seconds, it looks like a Category 5 hurricane has come through your house. And you're thinking, how did you even find that toy? And it's just a destruction. And at the end of every night, right, my wife and I, we clean up uh, the house, and you're finding things and sticking things. And the next morning, they wake up, and it's just destruction. You're thinking, this cannot be it. But imagine if your kids were always two years old. Forever. Forever. <laughs> forever. And they never grew up, right? Paul, Paul's saying, this is the futility of life without the resurrection. It's not just that it ends at some point, but even in when you're living it, it's meaningless, except for the little meaning that you create. But if the universe, say the universe has been here six billion years, okay? And say the universe, we'll just say, we're imagining here, okay? It goes on for 60 billion years. And you live, let's say, 100 years, Six billion years, you live for 100 years, the universe goes on for 60 billion years before the sun burns up, or we would say Jesus right, returns. But you know what I mean. You cannot honestly say those 100 years, I matter. <laughs> no one knows who you, no one cares who you are. The universe doesn't care who you are, right? No one's going to remember you, right? But in, but in our life, right, we fight again. We say, no, I matter. And, and everything here, it just matters. And the universe says, no, it doesn't matter. You're going to be in the ground, and Paul says, don't you understand what you're actually, we've got to get in our, in our head. That's the reality of life without resurrection. We go into the ground and we stay in the ground forever. And not just that, but all that we do in life, it doesn't really matter. Because we take it all with us into the grave. And maybe a generation or two later, someone knows our name, but then it's over. Paul says, that's the reality of life if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead. Verse 20. But, <laughs> oh, good news. <laughs> I had an older, older man say to me the other day, R.D., thank God for the conjunctions of Scripture. <laughs> but, we, we, we could just preach on that right there. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is such good news, such good news. He goes on, he continues, and he says, verse 21, for since death came through a man and the resurrection of the dead also through a man. Death comes through one man. He's talking about Adam. But the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So here's the problem. Here, here's why things are futile. Here's why Jesus Christ not only had to live for us, die for us, and ri also rise for us, is because all of us are in Adam. All of us are, are born broken and born bent, born turning inward. Romans 5.12 puts it this way. Paul, who also wrote Romans he wrote this. He said, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So when Adam and Eve choose their way over God's way, they begin decreation. They begin dehumanizing themselves, right? And the curse spreads out to all of the earth, right? Sin is the poison that you and I eat, 
and its consequences are death. Not just physical death, but exile from God, death from a relationship with God. God did not create a world with death. He did not create a world with sin, but he also created people in his image to rule and reign over creation, which is what Genesis 1 and 2 is all about. Adam, Eve, here's the garden, cultivated, right? Be in it, grow it. There's work for you to do here, and yet they chose the fruit, over God. And because of that, this curse has spread. And so now what the biblical storyline is saying is that all of us also have made that choice. We are in Adam. We sin. We choose things outside of God because we're broken inside. We don't learn how to sin. We don't learn how to steal. We don't learn how to say mine. We know it. Right? It's our native tongue. And that's why there's this futility because sin brings futility. It brings death. And so that's what the glory is here of verse 21. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So the first point here, what does the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus mean? Point number one, the resurrection makes us alive in Christ now and eternally. That's what verses 21 through 22 are about. The resurrection of Jesus makes us alive in Christ now and eternally. For all of us who are in Adam, in, in, in his race, we are broken and bent. And yet, by God's gracious, outrageous grace, he has put us in Christ and united us to Christ. There is no greater news in 2016 than the declaration that God, through his grace, by the Spirit, has placed you in Christ. So now where there was death because we belonged to Adam, now there is life springing up, right, from the winter because we've been placed in Jesus Christ. So now we not only will live forever with God, we have life now. We can breathe now. We can become the people God has called us to be even now. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That's the gospel right there. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You cannot put yourself in Christ by your own effort. God does it. He does it just like that. He puts you in, not because you deserve it, but because he wants you to be in his family. He wants to reverse the curse. And so Jesus steps in as the greater Adam, Right In the Garden of Gethsemane, he passes the test. He says, I'm going to take on the sin of all the people, and I'm going to go to the cross and to prove that this death sacrificed and satisfies all things, God is going to raise me from the dead. And that's what happens. And that's what happens. He doesn't stay dead. He rises. And so shall you and I. Well, number one, the resurrection, it's a quick point, but it's so important. The resurrection makes us alive in Christ now, and we will be alive with him forever. We're secure. He holds us. He has us. Has us. He has us. Number two, the resurrection announces God's and our coming victory over sin, death, and evil. We'll keep reading verse 23. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put 
all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In verse 20 there, just the beginning, Paul wrote, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, here is what that, that means. It means that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And when he did, he really, he brought the future into the present. Right? And he said, resurrection is the way things are going to end. That's the way things, I'm just giving you a preview of what's about to happen. A first fruit, if, if we have any farmers in here, we, we know about this. A first fruit is the first um, crop that comes up. It's the very first one that springs up from the ground. And you know, when that grain comes up from the ground, the rest of the harvest is coming. It's just a matter of time. And so what Paul's saying, he's saying Jesus Christ is that first grain who's risen from the dead. Right? He's broken through the icy layer. But one day, all of us who belong to him, when Jesus Christ returns, we will all break through the layer as well with him. Right? It's like when you hear, when you, hear, when you see lightning and you just count till you hear thunder. You know thunder's coming, right? Well, Jesus is the lightning, but we know thunder's coming. I've used this example many times. I just think it's helpful and, and effective um, that, that we, we live in between the resurrection of Jesus and our coming resurrection. And it's, it's like when um, the Allied troops landed on Normandy on D-Day. It wasn't the end, was it? But it was the beginning of the end. And as they marched across Europe, uh, soon the next year would be VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. But for you and I, we already know that there's going to be a V day. There's going to be a day of victory. Because we know that Jesus Christ, right, he came into the earth. That's the first D day. And so now we live in between these times. And you and I are also the first fruits, right? We're waiting and waiting and longing and longing and longing. So it's, there's, there's two stages here. That's what verse 23 means. It says, each in turn. So there's an order. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, which means when he returns for us, which he's going to return for us, when he returns, all those who belong to him, all those who are in him, when Jesus Christ returns to earth, all those who belong to him will rise bodily. It's certain. It's guaranteed. It will happen. And then the end will come. In the end will come, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, death is the final enemy. It's the great enemy. It's like any epic story. There's always a great enemy. And in the biblical storyline, it's sin and death and evil. And at the end, Jesus Christ will destroy it fully. And there will be no more death. There will be no more curse. Because he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That's what he is coming to do again. But now we sit in between the times. But if we don't know that victory is coming, it's going to be even harder to live now in uncertainty. And that's what Paul's saying for the Corinthians. He's saying, you need to know that there is a day coming when he will come back for us. And so now you can live boldly without fear. So Paul's saying all this, and there's, there's so much more here, but um, we, we can't get to all of it. Paul's saying all of this, and as always, there are people who are asking all these questions. And in verse uh, 20, 35, uh, they ask the question about how will the dead be raised? When Jesus Christ returns, what type of body will we have? What type of body will it be? Verse 35, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And they're not asking this question nicely. They're asking it in a mocking way. 
Which is why Paul says, how foolish, you fools. It's very kind of Paul. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of our earthly bodies is another. The, su- the sun has one kind of splendor, and the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars different from star in splendor. Verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Make sense? <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's saying a lot of things here. And there's, there's, there's so much here, but what, what I want us to see, maybe more than anything else, is that you and I right now have a body, Yes? Right, everyone, are we, are we with me? You on the, we're, okay, good, so far we're doing really well. We all have a physical body. Here's what a lot of people think. That you have a body now, but your body is bad and terrible and it gets old and all these things happen and so one day you're gonna get freed from your body and get to live with Jesus in heaven forever on a cloud, right? Have we seen the cloud images? Have we seen the harp images? Have we seen them? I just typed into Google today, heaven. Oh boy, <laughs> and it was gold and clouds and a lot of shining and, you know, all these just children with, and I'm like, it's, it's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is saying there will be a resurrection of the dead. You and I will rise and have a physical body, a, re- a tangible body you can touch, but it's going to look different, right? It's going to be different, but it's, we're not going to be a ghost, Right? You can actually touch us because Jesus rose from the dead and when he came back, he didn't walk up on the disciples and they say, look at a ghost. Right? He ate fish. They touched him. They touched him. And so the point is this. Here, here's what may help you. There, there is a final state that you and I will have, which is that we will have resurrected bodies. When someone dies right now, if someone were to die tonight, they would, go, they would be buried in the ground in a few days. And if they were a believer, their soul would go to be with the Lord, but their body would not. Right? There's not a one at a time resurrection of the dead. There's a at one time resurrection of the dead. Tracking? But it does, if you are in the Lord, Paul says, it's better to be at home with the Lord than in the body. So when someone dies, I always say they're with the Lord if they're in the Lord. They're with the Lord now. But I also say, but they are longing for the return of their body. So right now, for all people who have passed away in the Lord, Paul says they're asleep. And they are waiting for the trumpet to sound. And when the trumpet sounds and Jesus Christ returns, everyone whose body is in the ground will rise up and dwell with God on the new earth, this earth with him and rule and reign forever like we were supposed to do in the Garden of Eden. All right, that's what Revelation 21 and 22 is about. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There is no sin, there is no death, there is no curse. Now, have I blown anyone's mind? <laughs> is anyone thinking this cannot be what the Bible teaches? <laughs> this, this cannot be it. Here, here, 
Here's what I want us to know. Our great hope is to be with the Lord forever and to have physical bodies and to know each other and to see each other and to be able to touch and to hold each other. And in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, that is exactly what we get. Revelation 21 and 22 is the final state of all things. But we're not there yet. We're not, we're not, we're right now we're in between, we are in between the times. Paul is going to go on, and like I said, if you're confused, it's okay, because they will be confused too, right? It's a mystery. It's a fog. Paul writes in uh, verse 51, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. And they're probably like, you may be like, yes, (laughs) It, it is a mystery. I'm not, help us. But we don't, we don't know. We don't know everything. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. All means everyone. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's good news. See, all those who've passed away are waiting. And you and I are waiting, not to float up on the clouds, but to actually have our bodies given back to us, but they're better. They're richer. Maybe we have more senses, right? Uh, Maybe we can see differently. But the point of all of this is not that we get to live forever, but that we get to live with the Lord forever and be with him forever. I do not care about living forever. I care about living with the Lord forever and serving him all of my life. I'm not going to be bored in heaven. You're not going to be bored in heaven. Think of your, think of your best day. Think of the, the greatest day of your life. What was the, be, the best moment of your life? I want to think of that. The best, the best day, the greatest day, the day where you thought, I've, I've touched heaven, right? You ever said that? I feel like I, I've come so close to what it, and something springs up in your soul, and you think, God, I think I was meant for more because this feels so right. It feels so good, right? Multiply that day by 100 trillion, and then you are beginning to like approach the outlines of just the outlines of what the new heaven and new earth is like. We're not going to, somebody may be playing a harp, but everybody's not going to be. <laughs> There's work to do there for him forever. And we will be able to walk and talk and laugh and eat with him at the table forever. That is the hope of the gospel. And that is great news because it means this world's not going away. It's being redeemed and recreated. Just as your body is awaiting redemption, so is the whole earth. Romans 8 says the whole creation is groaning like in childbirth because right now it's in a womb of sin. But one day it'll be liberated like you and I will be liberated. And the trees and the mountains and the rivers are longing to be liberated from sin and death and evil. And one day, like that, they will be. You will be. I will be. It's so much better than I ever thought it was, to be honest. It's so much better than just going up. He comes down, and we live with him.
Paul here. Paul quotes Isaiah 25, actually, in verse uh, 54. Uh, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory, which I've always loved that image. And that's actually a quotation from Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8, which um, I have for you. And this is what Paul's quoting here. This is Isaiah 25, talking about the new heaven and new earth. On this mountain, which is the mountain of New Jerusalem, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. There's the quote. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all of our faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So the prophet Isaiah is saying there's coming a day when the shroud, the cloud, the fog that hangs over the earth will be pulled back and death will be swallowed up, our tears will be removed and we will be home with the Lord forever. This, right, this, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, death being eliminated. J.R.R. Tolkien in his book, The Lord of the Rings, um, has a conversation where Sam, who's um, one of the hobbits, who goes to help destroy the ring, if you want to know about the plot of Lord of the Rings, and spoiler alert, they destroy the ring, and the ring represents evil. And when the ring is finally destroyed in the final book, The Return of the King, they've gone through this unbelievably hard journey, they've had to destroy the ring, and when the ring is destroyed, there is peace that comes again. And after that, J.R.R. Tolkien, as he's writing, he has this encounter where Gandalf, who's kind of a Christ-like figure, kind of, sort of, okay, um, Sam, he wakes, up, he wakes up from a deep sleep, the, the kind of the night after all of this happens. And he's talking with Gandalf, and he says this, Sam says, he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. Somehow, mysteriously, wonderfully, resurrection works itself backwards so that all of the pain and all of the sadness and all of the disease, all of those things, somehow in God's new country is going to become untrue. It's going to be undone. Resurrection reverses the curse and restores everything back to the way God made it. Except it's even better. There's more life. There's more joy. There's better wine. There's better food. And so I just... I want to ask you, is that, is that reality the longing of your heart? Do you feel like, well, are there moments where you feel like, like I said earlier, where you get close and you think there's more? There's got to be life. There's, I was made for more than just this, right? And even sometimes the sweetest of moments, it escapes you, right? Some of the best moments of my life, the greatest moments of my life, when my girls were born, uh, when I got married, I thought this, this is so good but I feel like it's because there's more. I feel like because there's got, there's got to be more. And as a Christian, I know there's more. This can't just be it. I long for more. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from, my country, 
the place where I ought to have been born? Do you think it all meant nothing? All the longing, the longing for home. For indeed, now it feels not like going, but like going back. It doesn't mean nothing, all the longing. If there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you, you were made for another world. And we get tastes of it here and now. Friends, one day the Lord Jesus Christ will descend and we will be with him forever. Now, let, let, this, let that just sink in. Instead of being like, okay, what's the final point? <laughs> How do we wrap this thing up? See, sometimes in Christian land, we just think, I know that I was an Adam, and I know now I'm alive in Christ. Great. What? Okay, good, good, great, okay. <laughs> and I just want to say, maybe that's part of the problem, is that we just go so fast, and we just want to get, well, what, what, give, give me my nugget. I just want to say, here's your nugget that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. And if we've been placed in him by God the Father, we will dwell with him forever and all the great longings of our heart will be satisfied because we'll be with him. And everything sad will come untrue somehow, some way. And that that is the power for our life, that we have certain victory over death and evil and sin. They will all be destroyed. That is the power for everything in your life, no matter how small or how large, that this world is not it. There is so much more. And that is actually how Paul ends. He ends chapter 15, surprisingly, I think. After he's gone through this great and glorious, Jesus Christ has all the victory. He has conquered death and sin. You think he might say, so now just wait for him to return, right? So just hold on, right? Just look towards the sky. He's coming back for you. Just be really patient. But he doesn't say that. He says, oh, there's work to do. There's so much work to do. Verse 58, therefore, circle the word therefore. <laughs> that, there's a word right there for you. Therefore, because all of this is true, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's saying, People, it's not that we just sit here and say, okay, Lord Jesus, come back for us. He's saying, no, because he's coming back for us, because this world will be redeemed and recreated, there's work to do. Everything you do matters. There, there is no more vanity. There's no more futility. There's no more, does any of it matter? Do I have any meaning and purpose? This says, yes, stand firm, be unmovable, abound in the work of the Lord, seeing the kingdom of God come on earth until it fully does. Everything you do in the Lord will never be in vain. And there is the medicine for all of our thoughts of futility. Do I matter? Does anything, will anything really come of my life? Paul says, everything you do for the Lord matters forever. Somehow, somehow. It's not just that you leave this earth, right? And none of it actually carries over. Somehow in God's future, what we have done in the Lord will last forever. And so if you're looking for a verse in 2016, maybe it's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. As the church, we are people of the future. We are first fruits people saying the sun has risen. Victory is certain. We know that and so now we can give our money away because we know we can't take it into a new creation, right? We can uh, change diapers, 
right? <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, right? That actually matters, right? We can actually be people practicing justice in the world because one day justice will rain down fully. We can be people that are passionate about racial reconciliation because one day there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation before the throne of God. And so what we do now matters, right? We can be people who house orphans and widows because what we do now matters because of the new creation, there are no orphans and widows, There, there are none. And so why do we want any now in the new creation, right? And so right now there are marriages to be resurrected. There are neighbors to be known. There's us to be the people of God this day, this year, forever long God has for us. To stand in the gap and say, we know where the world is headed, and we want to see that world come into this world now. We are people of the resurrection, and so when all the broken places of the earth, all, all the dark places of our neighborhoods, of our schools, of our cities, we want to be the people that stand in there with resurrection hope and say there's another way things will be. We want to be the healing balm on the world, not just me, you, us, together. That's the mission of the church. And without the resurrection, there's no point to any of this. We're just singing songs for no reason. The resurrection orients us to right now, right here. That is really, really good news. Well, I'll close with this, if you'll indulge me, another Lord of the Rings quote. At the end of the final book, Pippin, one of the um, young guys, says to Gandalf, he says, I didn't think it would end this way. End? Oh, no, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take, but it is not the end. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. What, Gandalf? See what? White shores and beyond the far green country where the sun has just begun to rise. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. And Gandalf says, no, it isn't bad at all. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you that it was your delight to place us in Christ Jesus by your grace alone, the truer and the better Adam. We didn't earn our standing in your son. You placed us there, and you will keep us there forever. Would your spirit empower us to be hope-shaped people, proclaiming the glorious truth that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. Oh, Father, would the world look more like the kingdom? Would we be people of the first fruits of justice, of mercy, of kindness? People of the future. We long for the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of the whole earth when everything sad will finally come untrue. So Father, would we be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work as long as we're here. Father, we await the coming of our great King Jesus and when he comes, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. In the name of our risen and returning Savior and King and all God's people proclaimed. Amen.